First steps to automation, the latest on the trucking market, and defending our supply chains from cyber attacks. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister Company, a global manufacturer with nearly a century of experience designing forklifts and high-capacity materials handling equipment used in the world's most intense industries. Operations rely on Heister as a strong partner for everything from choosing the right mode of power source to their Edison award-winning operator assist solution, Heister Reaction. For more information, visit heister.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, we've all seen the impacts that automation technologies are making in our distribution operations. But with so much new automation out there, how does a warehouse operator know where to start on the automation journey? To provide some insights, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Our guest today is Martine Buenafranco, Automation Products Marketing Manager for the Raymond Corporation. Martine is here to talk with us about first steps and best practices for developing an automated warehouse. Welcome, Martine. Uh, thank you, Victoria. I greatly appreciate your having me, and thanks for the opportunity to talk to your audience. Great. Well, we're, we're glad you're here. So I just wanted to start by saying, you know, we both attended the ProMat Material Handling Conference in Chicago last month, which seemed very much like an automation show to me, given all the recent advances in robotics, artificial intelligence and the like. What was your assessment of the event um, in the state of warehouse automation as we sit here in 2023? Well, I tell you, ProMat continues to deliver. It was just a fantastic event. Uh, we had a record number of people visit us at our booth. And the quality of the lease was top notch, you know, so the, you know, the state of the automation in, in, in logistics is, is growing. It continues to expand um, and, and for all the right reasons. I mean, you know, the promise of automation, of course, is to turn a manual process into a process that is repetitive, accurate, predictable, and, and to do it in a manner that mitigates risk and reduces operational costs. So logistics, um, you know, it's being challenged uh, for the past few years. Um, there's been circumstances that put a lot of pressure on operations managers, you know, at distribution centers, fulfillment centers, warehouses. Um, you know, one of them, of course, being the growth in e-commerce and direct-to-consumer operations. Uh, so th this model uh, requires a, a much higher SKU number. And, and because of it, you know, every cubic inch of space is valuable. Um, so, uh, customers want their, you know, they're expecting their products to ship fast and on time. And then the other one, of course, is, uh, I, I think pretty much everyone relates to this is labor supply continues to be pretty tight. It's difficult to attract, to train and retain workers and, in, in, in logistics. So because of those factors, you know, uh, in all this pressure, uh, automation investments provide relief, right? because they can take on repeatable tasks uh, and they do it in an accurate, repeatable and predictable manner. So I quite frankly see uh, this uh, will continue to grow, especially in logistics. That's where automation is making a big play right now. 
There are so many advanced automation solutions available for the warehouse today from companies like Raymond and others. What are you seeing in terms of um, adoption rates for automated material handling equipment? You know, given what we just talked about, you know, how far along are most companies on this journey? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, so, uh, you know, if, if we look at the market uh, by product type, by industry sector, it, it's going to change, right? It's going to vary by industry sector. Some manufacturing, you know, has been automating uh, for a longer period of time than logistics, right? Especially the automotive and food and beverage sectors. Other sectors have caught up. You know, you have packaging, uh, building materials, electronics, pharma, retail. So those companies, they've been working with automation for, you know, quite some time. And, uh, but uh, the demand, again, you know, varies by industry and, and the maturity. Mm -hmm. So 2023 uh, came with some uncertainties for, you know, uh, the war in Ukraine, high interest rates, energy cost is high. And so there's this potential for recession, right? So in terms of the adoption, you know, we're seeing it uh, soften a little bit for this year. However, the trend is still going up. You know, uh, mm -hmm. so 2020, 2021 were pretty strong. 23 is a, 22 was a bit of a correction year, but uh, uh, 23 will still continue to expand. Uh, so in short, I guess, you know, uh, across industries in terms of adoption, the maturity of each industry sector comes into play, but also the size of the company. So, um, you know, a large company is, is very likely to have a team of people investigating uh, new technologies uh developing implementing an automation roadmap you know so uh smaller companies you know they know they have to implement an automation roadmap but some some of them really struggle with it simply because they don't have the people resources available to them so again uh these are the main factors the industry sector size of the company and and the adoption rate quite frankly is uh it varies now an interesting study recently, I was just reading, you know, uh, was asking the question to uh, automation uh, operations managers, you know, in terms of purchasing uh, or making investments in automation, 80% uh, of the respondents actually are planning to invest in automation within the next five years. So uh, with that, you know, the automation market is alive and, and healthy. That's for sure. Um, so when we're talking about those that are sort of, um, you know, just starting this process, what are some questions that maybe warehouse managers or other company leaders should ask, you know, when they're considering um, adding automated equipment or processes to their warehouses? I'm wondering, you know, how they can determine that an automated solution is right for them. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, not unlike any other strategic investment, right? A manager, they must be diligent. They need to ensure that there is a good return on their automation investment. You know? I'd say the first step is to really understand uh, what, what parts of the operation need to be updated or modified because uh, it is holding them down. You know, what KPIs um, are critical to their mission, what they're trying to do, but they're not being met, right? So um, in order to meet the evolving needs of their customers and to stay competitive, you know, what are those bottlenecks, right? Um, is it a system or resource constraint or both? So again, um, identify the problem. Um, you know, sometimes uh, it, it sounds simple, right? But uh, identifying the problem is not as clear cut. You know, some of our customers really struggle with this. You know, they, they in fact, um, 
in fact, very few customers come to us and ask for a specific automation solution. You know, they don't tell us, hey, this is what we need. Can you help us, you know, implement it? But rather, you know, uh, we, we, we like to engage in a, what I call a discovery engagement. You know, we, we like to take the time to understand their current state of affairs. We want to understand their manual process as it exists today. And, and the reason we want to do that is because it gives us a better understanding of their pain points. You know, once we establish a baseline, we can better identify the processes, the functions, and then we can define the future state, the goals, right? Uh, I, I think that's the first step, you know, take the time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, and then we, you know, we'd like to optimize their existing workflow. So even before we make any investments in automation, we'd like to apply lean techniques to reduce inefficiencies, to increase throughput. Um, I recommend, again, any operations managers that they do this first, uh, spend time in this area because it will help identify the repetitive workflows and the automation solution that is going to have the most favorable impact in the end. That would be the first step, you know, uh, really, really uh, uh, spend time identifying the problem. And the second one is installing a telematics solution. Uh, telematics is, is a tool that allows us to acquire real-time data, right? What is... Uh, their material handling equipment trying to tell you, right? Telematics gets us real-time data, what is going on uh, in terms of asset utilization, asset location, because everything is connected. We know where the assets are in the facility, what they're doing, material movements, you know, personal movements. And, and with all this data, you know, we can take it to do remediation. And then of course, validate whether if that remediation actually uh, uh, impacted the, the the operation, you know, gave us some uh, uh, good uh, gains in productivity. So that would be my my advice, you know, optimize and then of course uh, do the telematics implementation so you can have uh, a good visualization into what's going on in the facility. Thank you. So so given all that, I'd like to ask you kind of a crystal ball type of question. What do you think, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of the typical warehouse will look like, um, you know? 10 or so years down the road or sooner, you know, given, yes. you know, some of what you just talked about. Yeah, no, I love this. Right? I mean, I, you know, it's uh, looking ahead, I guess, no doubt in say 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. I think the warehouse of the future is going to be highly automated and technology driven. I mean, you know, there's going to be a much greater number of robots in multiple form factors. We're seeing that happening already, you know. But these robots are going to be handling, you know, materials from raw materials, transforming them into finished goods picking, packing, you know, uh, performing many of the repetitive tasks. But what I'm excited about is some of the new control disciplines that are going to be put in place. So you have um, uh, this highly autonomous and even robots, you know, acting as agents. So they're making decisions independently because you had this artificial intelligence, machine learning aspect, you know. Uh, so very highly decentralized control architecture, you know. Uh, uh, I'm very excited also about the uh, hardware the robots and the software will seamlessly communicate and coordinate some of the advanced tasks, you know, um, optimization of inventory, order processing, labor management. Uh, I think it'll be a very, very tightly integrated system working in unison. And the last thing is, um, personally, you get excited about an increased focus on sustainability with more buildings incorporated renewable energy sources and sustainable design features. So from energy solutions that power the facility uh, to maintaining air quality in the building and the lights. You know, so I think, again, 
this warehouse 10 years from now, I think it's going to be highly automated, data-driven, and, and highly adaptable to market conditions. Certainly a lot to look forward to. Uh, just as a final thought, you know, anything, anything else you think our listeners uh, should be aware of, pay attention to in terms of this trend toward automation in the warehouse? Any, any final thoughts? You know, uh, I would say, you know, treat uh, each opportunity, each project, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, stick to the same process that you normally do when you make another, you know, uh, investment, you know, get your NDAs in place, set expectations with suppliers, uh, provide them with a really good, well-defined list of deliverables, what your expectation is, right? Find suppliers or integrators that you can trust. Um, someone that, uh, cannot just you know give you good references but that can uh, support you through the installation and implementation because a lot of times that's where things can go you know wrong right um, and and someone who's going to be there you know to support you uh, years down the road um, I'd say start small so when if this is your first automation project um, you know start small find an ancillary application within the facility so it's not mission critical right? so your people can get used to the technology right and 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 after you you know operated that automated solution for some time you know um uh, socialize it internally so because in the what you're doing is you're changing a manual process to an automated process so it requires some change management so make sure that everyone feels comfortable with that in um uh, before you expand, you know, to a, a bigger uh, application, something that is closer to, you know, your mission. Uh, so that would be kind of a, my recommendation. And don't buy on price alone. So that's the last point I want to make. Uh, the ROI, of course, is important, you know, but there's a lot of good intangibles that are just as important. Um, you know, you can boost morale with the employees, increase retention. Uh, you can reduce risk. Uh, agility, it's a big one, I mentioned that. So uh, automation can provide a lot of benefits just beyond the uh, the quick, you know, two, three year return on that investment. So take a look at it and say it's an investment for the future. Right. Martin, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your insight. Mm, thank you so much for having me. I very much enjoyed this, Victoria. Thank you. Great. Thank you. We have been talking with Martin Buenafranco of the Raymond Corporation. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Martine and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote a couple of stories this week about current conditions in the trucking sector. How are things going on our roadways? Uh, well, yeah, the freight sector has always run in business cycles and we really seem to be in a cycle right now. Uh, it kind of shuttles between tight capacity with high shipping prices and loose capacity with cheaper prices. And by a variety of measures, North American trucking is knee-deep in a slump right now with too many trucks and not enough freight. And this week, we heard about a couple of different reasons why exactly that's so. Uh, this is based on two different transportation reports that we covered. One was from the consulting firm FTR, and another one came from the industry group, the American Trucking Associations, or ATA. So first, FTR said that uh, they have a measure of freight market activity that that firm calculates. They call it their trucking conditions index. Uh, so that dropped deeper into negative territory in February than it had been in January. 
the actual number that they're talking about. It's a mathematical index and it reflects conditions that are in five different sectors. So they look at freight volumes, uh, freight rates, fleet capacity, fuel prices, and financing costs. So as for the reasons that February had dropped into the more negative range, FTR analyst Avery Weiss said that freight volume is actually holding up better than some anticipated because spending on goods is still elevated and consumer inflation is slowing down. Likewise, there had been some fears of a major banking crisis. There were a couple of banks that, that went under about a month ago, but those have abated. But still, the industrial and the consumer sectors are sluggish and tighter lending standards by other banks, the surviving banks, uh, on top of the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes that we all hear about, um, could really slow the economy even further. So there are impacts on both sides of the scale, but the tightening economic conditions uh, seem to be winning right now. Ben, that all sounds pretty challenging. Did the reports give any predictions for when this cycle could rebound? Well, the FTR report did not, but the ATA report uh, looked a little bit further into the future. Um, as we said, FTR was looking at February. The ATA said that its index, uh, which is it's a seasonally adjusted for higher truck tonnage index, um, they had theirs for March, and that fell 5.5% after it had increased almost a percentage point in February. So that's kind of a similar trend to this one. So here's some context for the cycle that we're in. ATA said that after increasing actually a total of about two and a half percent over the past quarter, March's sequential decline was the largest monthly drop since April 2020, which was right at the start of the pandemic. Uh, for reasons about that, ATI pointed to falling home construction, decreasing factory output, and soft retail sales. So there are a lot of moving parts right here, but uh, they all seem to end up in about the same direction, uh, that there's a little bit, there's there's less freight to move, there are too many trucks to do it. Uh, so for the time being, um, that there's too much capacity and uh, it, it, it's not a supermarket to be uh, in, in the freight trucking sector. Well, I guess the silver lining, if we want to look at it, is as you mentioned, these things are cyclical and coming off record highs, it was bound to be a bit of a dip. I guess we just have to wait for the industry to make its next swing upward again. Exactly so. Yep. And, and we'll be here uh, to cover that when it does. Yep. Thanks, Ben. And Victoria, you wrote this week about research showing the top supply chain risks. Can you give some details? Yes, happy to, Dave. So um, rampant cybersecurity weaknesses uh, are really putting supply chains at risk. And that's according to a, a report from British cybersecurity company Risk Ledger. Um, and as you say, that was released this week and we reported on it. Risk Ledger's uh, State of Cybersecurity in the Supply Chain 2023 report is based on proprietary data from more than 2,500 suppliers on its, its own risk management platform. Um, and the findings identify the 12 most common weaknesses among suppliers, uh, especially among third-party suppliers and others that are sort of further down a company's supply chain. Now, those kinds of suppliers are external companies that a business uses to provide a service as part of their own delivery or a company that provides elements of a product that they make. Um, and according to this report, 40% of those third-party suppliers do not conduct regular penetration tests of their internal systems, 
and uh, more than a third don't have um, a supplier security policy that outlines the security requirements that the suppliers should meet. Um, and those are things that put a company's own data and um, that of their customers at risk. So uh, that's what this uh, report is really getting at. Victoria, you mentioned that the report outlined 12 top weaknesses that are threatening supply chains. Can you give us a couple of those 12? Yes, absolutely. And some of them are pretty simple things, at least um, that struck me as, as pretty simple. According to the survey, 17% of suppliers uh, do not enforce something, something called multi-factor authentication or MFA on all remotely accessible services. Now, MFA uh, requires a second source of validation before granting users access. So in addition to entering a password, for example, the user may ask, be asked for a code or a fingerprint. MFA is the simplest, most effective way to keep hackers out of your online accounts, according to the experts uh, at Risk Ledger, but it can be cumbersome for users. And because of that, it's often provided as an optional setting that needs to be intentionally configured. I know I'm familiar with this and I'm sure our listeners are as well. It can really be a pain when you're asked to, you know, get a, check a code or, or something like that before you can log into a particular account or service. But however, not using this protocol leaves accounts vulnerable to attack through um, password theft. So that's how a lot of these um, hacks occur. As another example, 23% of suppliers uh, uh, fail to use something called privileged access management controls to securely manage the use of privileged accounts. And those are um, you know, ultimately the ultimate target, I should say, for, hacker, for attackers. This could include accounts um, that control uh, sensitive customer data, for example. And with high privileges, an attacker can access that information. You know, it's particularly sensitive and also more valuable data. And then they can modify um, security detection tools to cover their own tracks. Um, these are just two of the 12 examples in this report. Uh, the rest are outlined. Um, in the report, which explains all of the weaknesses um, that are common causes of cybersecurity incidents. Um, they also mention, as I said earlier, that the high proportion of third, fourth, and fifth party suppliers um, are not using these controls to protect themselves or their customers. Uh, I should say the report also offers recommendations by cybersecurity experts for improving companies' third-party risk management strategies, and they also include some benchmark data. Uh, there's a link for more information all, on all of this in our story, uh, which our listeners should know was posted this week on Wednesday, April 19th. Great. And as we've seen, any company, large or small, can be a target of cyber attacks. So we almost remain diligent, I guess, in protecting our data and our systems. Exactly. Thank you, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Martine Buenafranco of the Raymond Corporation for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister. With strength, durability, and their continual focus on safety, Heister is powering your possibilities. For more information, visit heister.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, 
Have a great week.